This is Paul Nobles from the Eat Form Podcast, and I am with Dr. Brad Dieter. Now, just right, uh, right out the gate, you're a doctor of exercise physiology. So, you know, he's not a psychologist. We're not cl- claiming that he's a psychologist. Um, and I just wanted to make sure that everybody understands the angle that we're sort of taking with this podcast. So, Brad, why don't you uh, introduce yourself a little bit, and then uh, we'll d- jump right in. Yeah, hey, everybody. I'm uh, I'm Brad. Everybody calls me Dr. Brad. Nobody ever calls me Dr. Dieter, which is, is very strange. <laughs> um, yeah, so I'm kind of the resident chief scientist at Eat to Perform. All my work is uh, in metabolism and, and diabetes and kind of ranges the whole spectrum of very basic science all the way up through know, clinical trials and biostatistics and and data analytics. Um, So we are definitely not uh, psychologists or clinical practicing psychologists in any way, shape or form. But Uh, although we do work with a lot of people. But in your work, you do um, analyze studies and we do see um, the relationship to dieting. And some of the things that we're going to be talking about here, like clinical depression, you know, and and just traumatic events that get internalized one way or the other, right? Mm-hmm. So, just to kind of set the scene, um, it is a little awkward when we're talking because it was a. Uh, let me just shut my Facebook down just so we don't get any weird beeps or anything, but. On um, 60 Minutes This Week, there was a news piece that was led by Oprah Winfrey, which, you know, we'll talk about because uh, that gets a little bit complicated um, in how we're going to be talking about this discussion. But the, the idea and the core idea of um, the news piece were three things, right? And I'll just kind of share those right off the bat. Is what happened to you, right? What has caused the hole in your soul, right? And what potentially might be the solution? And a large piece of the solution is the relationships that you have, right? So that's the that's the big takeaway of a lot of the things. And then when we post the podcast, I'll also post the um the link to the um the news piece right um because it was very compelling i do have to say right off the bat that i think the irony was sort of lost on oprah um and i do you know i have a really conflicted relationship with how i think about oprah winfrey because i think she's like a super powerful person and um, her, you know, I, I don't want to really turn this into a, you know, a requiem on, on Weight Watchers because I think I'm going to make a strong argument that, um, Weight Watchers is harmful to people and chronic dieting is harmful to people. And so her being the face of Weight Watchers does add a little bit of a, a weird twist to this story, right? Um, so. In 
the piece, they talked about what I believe is called the ACE test, and you can actually do the test online. And uh, it's nine questions, and depending on how you answer the questions is how your score gets tabulated. What I thought was interesting and what we're going to talk about is that I thought the test was a little limiting. And uh, I thought that the the piece of trauma, I'm going to make the argument, is much bigger than uh, the the way it was defined in on the show. Because when they talked about it on the show, if we have time, you know, I actually do have it up. Um, it, it, it's a little wordy, so maybe we can, you know, bring up some of the questions, but um in in general maybe i'll post that to the link at, or that link as well so you guys can can look at it but you know like there was one question that involved drug addiction um and and alcohol abuse uh which i think is limiting because you know there's people that deal with abuse in their family um outside of physical abuse and outside of alcohol um I, I can speak to gambling as one of them right where families are sort of wrecked by that now sometimes that accompanies alcohol um and drug abuse but but not always and so in that way the test can be a little limiting but the test is very good I, i'm not criti being critical of the test the test is very good the thing that struck me um, is that as I was watching it, I can't watch it and not know what I know, right? And so when I know, you know, that there's a strong connection between, you know, depression and under eating, there's a strong connection between how you feel about yourself and under eating, uh, there's a strong connection between brain chemistry and under eating, and then you know, that's why the, the, the relationship with Oprah Winfrey gets tricky, right? Because, you know, I'm, I have no question in my mind that Oprah thinks that she's helping people or wants to help people deal with their weight issues. But weight issues is merely a symptom of the whole in the soul problem, right? And so if you're trying to address weight issues without addressing the whole in the soul problem, then we're really not going very far as it relates to how you're going to solve things. And, and I would argue that um, the level of trauma that the person might be experienced might be emphasized. And so I'm gonna stop there before I go into my next piece which is going to kind of, you know, loop this all together. But Brad, what are your thoughts on that? And and can you give maybe just a general snippet? You don't have to get super sciencey, but but just I, I want people to know that if they were to Google, you know, PubMed statistics on on research, they would literally be there for days looking at dieting and brain chemistry type stuff. Yeah. So there's, I mean, there's a super rich history of this, this idea, right. Of what does dieting do to your, your affect, right. Depression, happiness, joy, 
ability to cope, all those things are impacted by, by dieting. Um, and we can even go back to like some of the original work in like the 1940s, um, where they did some of these like starvation studies. And one of the big things they found were these psychological changes. Um, and so, you know, that's one of the big pieces that I think a lot of people who work in this space don't really think about is you have to try to balance this idea of, you know, weight loss to try to improve somebody's life versus if you already have some underlying problems, are you really exacerbating the issue by trying to give them an intervention? And how much is that intervention helping or hurting? What's this underlying problem? And so we know that the connection between dieting and all these all these components that make up your psychology can be dramatically affected. What Brad's referring to is is one of the the biggest studies. Like they couldn't even do this study nowadays, right? Um, but the Minnesota starvation um, study, and I'm pretty sure you would be. Is that what it was called? Yeah. Okay. And um, it was all men. Um, none of them had really any issues related to, uh, you know, eating disorders, things of this nature. And they intentionally starved them to try and see what would happen. And um, what happened shocked the researchers and really has laid the groundwork for a lot of the type of stuff that we're going to be talking about. But, but these people became obsessive about food, um, anything related to food. Um, and I think anybody that, you know, has dieted realizes, you know, hangry to the extreme happens and um, it changes who you are you know, um, when you are under eating. And so when you're intentionally trying to under eat or trying to, you know, mess with your hunger signaling and, and things of this nature, you're probably not thinking about the consequences, both health wise and mentally that could come about. The other thing that occurred to me as I was watching it was there was this trauma that was being talked about related to these children going through these really horrific um, types of scenarios. And then some of these scenarios, you know, I'm going to try and keep it, you know, not so personal about me, but, you know, we all have our own baggage that we do bring to the table. I am someone that, you know, has gone through a fair amount of psychotherapy related to you know, some of my childhood and my A score is pretty high, you know, and uh, the uh, the saving grace for me, right, um, was my relationship with, with my grandmother and then ultimately the relationships that I sought out um, later in life. But getting back to Brad's topic, right, the, the big idea is what happened to you and when you start from what happened to you it sort of changes you know to be a little bit more caring than what is wrong with you right and that that was the thing that that sort of intrigued me the other piece that that really intrigued me was the me too movement 
and I'm not really going to get into kind of the political aspect of, of all that and stuff like that, because I realize that that can be really controversial. But the one thing that I remember from my therapy was that you don't get to say or comment on what my truth is, right? And so I always kind of view these podcasts and the people that are listening to them as the people that don't believe what I believe, they just turn it off at this point, right? And then the people that can relate to that truth, they keep going. And so in, in I don't think that it can be questioned that there's a lot of people that internalize their truth is that they're victims of trauma. And I believe them, right? I believe that there is um, that level of trauma out there. And then if we're going to believe that that level of trauma exists, then we also have to believe that there is some layer of hold to your soul that needs to be addressed before we can really kind of move on. And I, one of the things that I can think of with, you know, someone that, that I work with personally, all the evidence that she has seen and all the results that she has seen has worked really, really well as her calories and work capacity has gone up. And because of her history of dieting, you know, she does not really respond to low calories all that much. Now she's a relatively new eat performer and some of that stuff, you know, takes a while to get sorted out, but it's a very difficult conversation to have with her because she wants to fix the bigger problem without logically looking at the, the solutions for the symptom, right? And the symptom, you know, that we're trying to address here is that you know dieting for her is not going to do what she thinks it's going to do because her body just responded to it you know and you know in a, in a very real way when we talk about abuse and we talk about addiction and, and things of this nature i mean the only real relationship that i can think of related to dieting and once again this is well chronicled within science that the more you do it the more you need it right? And the more aggressive that you need to have to be. And so this is the argument that we constantly make. And this is the big piece of each reform that we bring to the table that no one else is willing to bring to the table. We were, we were talking about this on the main page the other day. And we were talking about all these, these diets, which I do believe start off with a good idea they start off with a good premise i don't think the people the you know dr cordain invented the paleo diet you know to get to a place that ends up abusing people right what ends up happening though is if you kind of have that hole in your soul and you've tried everything out there and your friend betsy you know has done the paleo diet and had some success with it now all of a sudden you juxtapose your problem with that solution, right? When your problem might be a little bit deeper than that solution. And then the, the bigger issue is that when you want to sell more books, when you want to sell more subscriptions, what you have to do at that point is go against your core philosophy, 
right? So if your core philosophy is that people should eat more whole foods and, you know, 80% of their diet should represent that and 20% should be more flexible, which is what the original book was, right? The original book, which was sort of funny, was really more kind of chicken and kale than fat. And then they sort of feel, realized that, you know, people going to need some energy source. And so they gravitated a little bit more to fat in the upcoming editions, right? But Brad looked like he wanted to kind of kind of interject something there and, and maybe save save me from going down a rabbit hole. But, but I think that I, the, to finish my point is that I think all these places start with good intentions, but then you got to keep the doors open. So they move away from their original premise to keep the doors open and keep a movement that maybe they feel passionate about, but are willing to compromise a little bit on. And I, I think, you know, you have to be able to stick to your guns, even when, you know, it means that you don't get to drive a Ferrari. Yeah. I mean, I think there's, there, there's a lot of pieces to that. And, you know, one of them is when you think about what a lot of these interventions are is they're meant to be short interventions, but they end up, being used over decades and you've taken a tool that's supposed to be used over a short window and you've kind of inappropriately managed it right i always think about it you know with the way that i kind of juxtapose it to like modern medicine right is the way that medicine as a science is designed is to solve acute healthcare problems and you know everybody has this idea that the healthcare system is broken and it's not broken. It's just not designed to handle 30 year long diseases that are lifestyle multifactorial based. Right. And so when you take an intervention that's meant for, you know, a medication to treat this aggressive symptom and this disease for a short period of time, and then you try to turn that into a long-term intervention, you end up in a really bad spot. Right. And you start to give people complexes and additional you know, side effects, and then you have to layer on all these other medications to counter the original medication. And the same thing can be applied to like how dieting has been used, right? Is these are short acute interventions that are supposed to solve a problem in the short term, but it's not a long-term solution. And so that's, well, you, you know, a big piece of it. Yeah. Even Weight Watchers, you know, there's a lot of these dieting systems. I know that they gave a little, little nod to it, you know, in the whole 30 book, right? um that your calories are meant to go back to normal right but if your calories ended up at 800 right so so imagine a scenario where you're talking to someone who just kind of you know let the oreos go a little too far had a mountain dew for breakfast right and now all of a sudden they take whole 30 and they use it and they clean things up and get things a little bit better you know and then they move to normal calories, they might not know what normal calories are, right? Mm -hmm. And then, you know, I can say personally that my, um, you know, initially my journey was about health, but then eventually it becomes about optimal body composition, right? And so if, you know, you started off to get healthy and to get healthy, you went, you were eating, you know, 4,000 calories and started eating 1,500 calories, 
And now all of a sudden you assume that optimal body composition means that you need to eat 800 calories. And then you potentially add layer on top of this some trauma that might have come in the past. Now we're really starting to build layers and upon layers upon layers that really cause, you know, bigger problems. But I do want to get back to kind of the the me too idea. Um, and I know people, you know, don't like talking about this. And I know guys don't like talking about it, but I'm going to straight up talk about, you know, uh, I didn't think that the Me Too movement went far enough, right? Because I think guys have more power in relationships than women have. And I'm, I'm going to do it the way that I always do it. And I'm going to personalize it in that I had relationships where I was just not into the person the way that they were into me. And I knew that I had power over that relationship that I abused for my wants at that time. Now, if I were to see those people, right? I mean, I, you know, you don't encounter people. I mean, I live in Minnesota. They probably live in Louisiana still or move somewhere else. But, you know, I would, I would say, you know, I just want to apologize. You know, I think that um, the way that I addressed that relationship at that time, you know, that isn't who I wanted to be, but, you know, I just kind of, you know, let, you know, that get out of hand. Right. Um, and it wasn't, you know, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't to the level of abuse. It wasn't to the, it wasn't even to the level of sexual in some instances, but I just felt like, you know, um, I feel like there are relationships where people aren't into the other person, you know, and they do it for an emotional need when they know that they're going to get rid of that person. And, and to me, I don't know that that rises to the level of trauma, but I can't tell you how many people that, you know, we talked to, I can think of one in particular where the person was in, you know, was in a two-year relationship, was talked to, you know, I remember, you know, comments of, you know, I wish you were a blonde. I wish you were, you know, didn't weigh as much as you weigh, right? And this person talked to this person, this other person in the relationship really negatively. And in retrospect, you know, the person that, you know, that was affected was really involved in this relationship and really harmed by that experience, right? And it never rose to the level of, of abuse or anything like that. But, you know, I would argue that there, there is some level of abuse there, right? And when you invest two years of your life and you're talking to someone who is not building you up, you know, there could be reasons for that. And so I know that, you know, that may have come off a little awkward, but these topics are awkward, right? And, and the problem is, is that people don't talk enough about this type of stuff. And I can definitely say from, you know, the side of someone who was in relationships that, you know, like I said, I, you know, I probably took advantage of that person 
we don't have enough people, you know, apologizing for those things because it's awkward, right? And um, I know that we're going to tie it into dieting at some point, but um, I feel like that needs to be said um, in this discussion. Uh, so Brad saved me, <laughs> saved me here because I feel yeah, like I mean, I'm, I, I'm drowning in, I think, in awkward topics. I think the the two big points you made, and I'll try to touch on them both, but one is every person internalizes external events differently, right? So you and I can be in the same situation and one of us might be quote unquote traumatized and the other person won't. Right. And I think that there's, there's this stigma of trauma being, you know, this big negative thing. And then a lot of times it never gets addressed because of the negative connotation. And so I think one of the big things and, you know, we see this, I see this a lot with my personal clients in Need to Perform is, you know, a lot of times when the, we'll call it the fairly surface level behaviors of the, what am I eating? Am I going to the gym? Those are affected by these underlying deeper pieces. And a lot of it comes down to, can we just identify it? Realize, you know, it's something that happened and let's address it. And it's not this big, horrible, you know, negative mark on you as a human it's just something that happened to you and if we can bring it out and kind of talk about it and address it then you start to work on the healing process um and i think that's a big piece and i think the other one is like you mentioned is owning your own past faults right i think a lot of times we all get stuck in where we are because we we are too afraid to look back and see where we took missteps and address those missteps and i think both of those things for most people end up being roadblocks that kind of cause these negative behaviors moving forward. Well, we also know, you know, beyond a shadow of a doubt that traumatizers are often traumatized, right? Mm -hmm. And so, you know, that's what makes all of this a really sticky topic. I will say that what, what Brad is saying, there are, you know, like I, at this point can literally rip my heart out of my chest and show it to anyone right because i've just gotten to that that level as it relates to my own personal history but i don't think everyone is at that place and so that's where therapists come into to play because i think there's a lot of people you know that have histories where you know that, that's where i thought the 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 thing was limiting Right, because if if what is verbal abuse, right? I mean, like if someone says to you every day you wake up, you're a loser and you're fat, right? Like that would definitely be, you know, abusive. Some people wouldn't think of that as abuse, right? But you know, as you internalize those messages. Now all of a sudden you have, you know, 120 pound woman that's five, six, you know, um, spending the rest of her life with those types of messages, right? And we, we see that every single day, right? Where it's not about optimal health, right? It's about a look towards, um, 
optimal body composition filling the hole in the soul when the hole in the soul has no relationship to that right and and if the person you know has blocked those memories or or you know kind of you know held down that that thought process then really sort of struggle with coming to what the real answers are right and you know i think a lot of you know when we get into the relationship piece you know what i remember about my grandmother which you know this is what's interesting about this is that the the thing that we're talking about is very complicated right so my grandmother was a light in my life right i mean i walked around thinking i was the smartest person and the best baseball player and the 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 number one kid in the world my grandmother um i never knew her not dieting i never knew her um not eating you know she ate tomatoes with salt and pepper on it like all the time and she was not a small gal i you know i i have a picture of my grandmother that i always show um so as she was building me up she now she did have in in defense of my grandmother um she did have an injury you know she was actually uh you know she was a rosie the riveter type right like she worked at a um, mechanic shop and she you know, moved like these heavy engines all the time when at you know at her age you know at that you know in the 60s and 70s that was not common for women to do right but she was a farm girl right and um she did fill this role for other people like me you know but not all of them were able to survive their traumatic events in their life, right? And uh, cultivating those relationships and trying to find people in the piece that the gal that, you know, talked about all this negative stuff that went on in, in her relationships. Um, and then the people that were there for her, you know, she kind of smiled and said, if they could go through that with me, imagine how awesome it's gonna be to share all the good things in my future. And I think it takes a bit to get there, just speaking personally, right? Um, any, any thoughts on that, Brad? Yeah, a, a lot of thoughts. <laughs> I, I think that there's, there's a, there's a, a lot of ideas that are kind of in there, and you know one of the things that I like to talk to people, especially our clients, a lot about is the directionality of happiness. And a lot of people, you know, we see, in you know, I think this is pretty universally true, is the i the initial idea that you know, dieting, weight loss, and optimal body composition lead to happiness, and I would say maybe half a percent of people that's how they go from where they are and being unhappy to being happy and and the real story is 99.5 percent of people the journey is they have to fix 
the happiness first. And then if they get to the end, the optimal body composition is kind of the cherry on top. Yeah. And I think... there's the sacrifices that a lot of people make along the way in terms of the first path of you know, trying to get to optimal body composition, thinking in the end they will be happy. A lot of sacrifices they make along the way to try to get to that end, you know, physical appearance piece actually ends up costing them the underlying happiness. And so a lot of times when we, especially when we work with clients is I kind of tell them like, these are two independent pieces in terms of, you know, they, one will not directly lead to the other and we have to work on both and we have to be able to have progress in one area and not have that dictate all the progress in the other area. When I, I, I was once in kind of a panel situation where we were being asked um, and it was various people who run um, health and fitness companies and, and, you know, the, the leader of the discussion asked, you know, how we deal with, you know, eating disorders. And what I said was that if we get, you know, someone that we see that's kind of in a vulnerable situation, we will often, you know, suggest counseling or, or something of that nature. But we're, you know, we're not in a, in a real place to kind of help that other than the fact that, you know, the emphasis of what we do is not dieting. I think it would surprise people to know that most eating disorder, when you go in for therapy, you know, they're going to find ways for you to have a better relationship with food and eat more food. Like you don't go into eating disorder treatment and then, you know, they're going to give you less food right? I mean, clearly they're going to work you through the process a little bit. But when you look at the bigger piece of what we do, where the emphasis is not dieting, we do have a lot of people that come from an eating disorder background that, you know, now have a better relationship with food because of that. And it's somewhat anecdotal, but there's definitely a strong relationship, right? And I think that uh, you know, on the panel, there was another person and their company was much more restrictive than my company. Um, and his response kind of surprised me, you know, and what he said, it's not my problem. Right. And I do think that there's not enough attention paid to that. Now, one of the reasons why it's not his problem is because he's a small company and, you know, they don't need to care about your mental well-being, right? Um, and the scrutiny, I, you know, I was watching Shark Tank and they were talking to this one company and they were like, you can get away with that now. But when you have more eyes on you, you're not going to be, get, to be able to get away with that, you know? So I would imagine that Weight Watchers does pay more attention to stuff like that. You know, I don't know what their protocol is or, or anything like that. And, you know, it does, there's no question in my mind that the people at Weight Watchers have the best intentions for their clients at the heart of what they're doing. But the problem that I have is that they have more data than I have. 
And if I know the big problem with the data that I have, how can they look at their data and not realize that, you know, this is not, you know, there's there's been a push for many years for more transparencies for, for these companies. And they they always fight it. And the reason why they fight it is because all of the studies seem to show that the level of success is not high. And I would argue that, you know, that's a complicated question in general, right? Um, how are you defining success? How are you defining, you know, whether someone, you know, followed the plan, whether they, you know, they were able to kind of run through various cycles. Are we talking about 14 days? Are we talking about 14 years? Right. And so it is, a, it is a difficult uh, question to be asked, but then at the same time, you know, I don't see the people putting the level of emphasis on the piece where people get to have a good relationship with food. Right. And when we when we layer, you know, what that that's the reason why I brought up the Me Too movement. If we know that, you know, and and I'm not saying that guys don't deal with this level of trauma, right? Or deal with these same problems and maybe internalize them differently and some some things like that. But you know, the way that guys respond to it is definitely different than the way that women respond to it. And I know this based on how many men sign up to eat to perform related to women signing up for eat to perform and related to women that are more susceptible to the dieting message. So if you already feel less than, right, you're going to respond to a less than message. Um, and then, of course, you're going to have the opposite being also true, right? So if you have a hole in your soul, it's much easier for cheesecake in a moment to fill that hole than, you know, the true answer. I will tell you that the layer of psychotherapy, if you would ask me in the moment, if it was worth it, I would have said, no, give me the cheesecake. <laughs> You know, or give me the drugs or, or whatever you're filling the hole in your soul with. But, you know, um, it's much easier to deal with, you know, your symptoms with a temporary fix rather than dealing with the overriding issue. And Brad's nodding, so I'm going to let him talk. <laughs> yeah, you know, I think it's it just comes down to the piece of how do you give people the best answer for their long-term success. And oftentimes that looks very different than what do I want right now? Because we are wired so differently, you know, between what we know is going to get us there down the road versus what do, what is, what are our wants right now? And, and what do we feel like our needs are and what story are we telling ourselves versus what's the real story? Right. I mean, a lot of the stuff that we end up doing with our clients, you know, and Paul, you and I talk about this all the time is what story are we hearing? And then what's really underneath that story? Uh, and I think a lot of times, you know, most interventions are geared toward what are we hearing and not as what is underlying that story. 
and how you address those two pieces are so different. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 I'm going to embarrass Brad here, but, <laughs> but Brad sends me love texts all the time. And <laughs> as a result, I send him love texts all the time. And it's, it's more bro related. But, you know, the relationships in your life should be building up who you are, right? And I can say that when things get chaotic in my life, I don't show a level of love and care the way that I would like to. And I think a lot of people can relate to that, that, you know, when they're overwhelmed by something that they don't, you know, take the time out, you know, but then what I do and what I've learned to do through my therapy is to deal with the chaotic piece, right? And, and layer in some level of discipline and just really start to prioritize all the different things that are consuming me. And then, you know, when I, when you find someone, you know, like Brad and I mean, you, you people are laughing at me, but if you, <laughs> uh, if you know Brad at all, he does this for you guys too. Right. And I will say that, you know, if you met Paul Nobles three years ago, um, you would have met a ver worse version of Paul Nobles. I am a better person because of Brad. And I think that all of your relationships in your life need to work that way. One of the things I used to work in the, the car business, um, but I did this in the mortgage business. I did this in poker. Everything that I did in my life, I sought out people that were better than me, right? Um, but I didn't always seek out people that were better than me emotionally, right? And um, I've tried to be a little bit more conscious of that in my life. I mean, I have, I have some really good foundations. Um, obviously, my wife is always concerned that I build her up too much to where she's like this superhero and that when people meet her, she's just a normal person. But I think when people meet my wife, they realize she's a pretty cool gal, you know, and I don't feel like what I think that what people I think one thing that's really endearing about my wife is that she's not perfect, right? And so so when I talk about my wife and how much I love her and people meet my wife and they go, oh, wow, you know, she's not like, you know, the most perfect individual ever and I'm not the most perfect individual ever. So maybe that means I can be loved. Right. Maybe there's somebody for me, you know, and um, maybe, maybe I should demand more from my relationships. Right. Because I know that that's something that I've had to to do is start to set my standards a little bit higher. So once again, Brad is uh, I, I busted Brad out, you know, um, for sending me the bro text. But uh, but go ahead, bro. I mean, one of the big things that 
has been really illuminating for me because because I've gone through a lot of you know stuff as a child and kind of went through some some pretty rough childhood trauma and I feel like this my story will parallel with a lot of other people is what took me or what it took for me to kind of get past that piece was I had to kind of get away from this idea that like I'm a perfect human being I need to be really good all the time and when I kind of started to realize like it's totally fine that I have faults it's totally okay that you know there's there's issues in my life there's it's totally fine that there's all these things and when I was just like the and I started viewing it as okay these are all areas where I can kind of make improvements and I started looking at it as you know it's fine like this is where I am these are some of the things that I have on my plate and it's okay that I have these things on my plate it's okay that I have these you know shortcomings these emotional holes all these pieces and I just kind of realized it's okay and then I started dealing with them the perspective it gave me on trying to deal with those things and kind of the personal growth was where it made all the difference. So Brad is bringing up something that he has brought to the table. And I do want to ask you a little bit more about some of the relationships that, that helped you get there and, and, and how you started to you know, reach out to people in that way. Cause I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm not the only person, but one of the core principles of reform is not rigidity, right? Because, you know, most of the, the programs that are out there, when you start to struggle, they preach for you to be more rigid, right? And there's always a certain amount of accountability that needs to, to happen. But what you won't hear from each reform coaches because it's just not the culture that we have, it's not the culture that we're cultivating, is that more rigidity is better. In fact, I think we argue the opposite, right? That, you know, there should be times in your life where you should be more flexible. Um, I think that is a, a has a strong correlation. You know, I, I, I put up a post about ottering Right. And, and I used a picture of an otter that sometimes in life, you know, your priority, I would argue that the good majority of your life, the priority should not be fat loss. Right. That, you know, you should be eating foods that add to the equation that 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 are positive as it relates to health. But in terms of optimal body composition, in terms of optimal exercise op output and things like that, you should be able to have times in your life where those are not the biggest priority, you know? And I don't think that you would hear that from really anyone else, you know, because it's not a core philosophy of what they believe health and fitness to be. We believe that less, you know, you know stranglehold is better. Right. And so that that kind of speaks to, you know, the layer of forgiveness that I think Brad is talking about there. Right. Because, you know, um, you know, I'll just kind of relay my first memory as a child was my mother being sexually abused um, during a robbery. Right. Um, and, you know. 
it, it sounds crazy that at four years old, you would feel like you could have done something to help that situation and that you would need to forgive yourself. Any rational person would not, you know, have to deal with that. But I think we all deal with those types of irrational thoughts that if we can forgive ourselves, get it out there and move on. I can talk about that today because I've talked about it a lot and I've been able to process it and I've been able to forgive myself. And, um, but imagine the, you know, the sliding door effect, right? And I, I don't, I don't know. I, I never saw the movie or the book or anything like that, but, but the idea, you know, I mean, how much of my life was spent, you know, with, with those layers of trauma consuming me, right? And then initially, you know, alcohol. I will say this, you know, I've had other things that came up that I was obsessive about. And maybe I, maybe you could argue that, that I had um, issues with those, you know, um, I, I can tell you, the layer of fucked up in this, um, that, that, you know, I had, uh, when I was playing poker professionally, my dad had a gambling problem when I was a child, you know, I mean, I remember, and my dad, you know, I will say my dad doesn't love it when I tell these stories, but my dad is not a gambler anymore, right? He still has a shame about something that he's figured out, you know? Um, and when I say this, I don't say it as an embarrassment to him. I say it because I'm speaking my truth, right? But I can tell you dead on that I am that level of sick that there were many times where I wanted to get back that money. Like imagine that layer of trauma and you're still dealing with it and and, and there's a positive outcome, right? But what is the, you know, because I've talked about it, you know, when I stopped playing poker, um, well, when I started to address my health and fitness, that my want to play poker went away, right? And so, you know, maybe as I started to move to more of a healthy place, you know, an unhealthy thing in my life naturally had to go away. But that's why I say they were talking about kids and they were talking about childhood trauma and, and, and this and that. And I'm just sitting here, you know, I mean, one of the articles that I wrote, you know, where I talked about, um, it was titled whole is not my goal. I've been talking about this whole in the soul concept for most of my life, you know, um, and at 49, I'm still not whole, you know, and I, I, I sort of revel in not being whole. It was kind of a riff on what Brad was saying, right? That, you know, some of the negative events in your past actually 
without those things, you you wouldn't be who you are. You know, um, you wouldn't have the passions you have. You wouldn't have the intensity that you have. You know, you wouldn't care as much as you do. You know, um, and so so I think that that's that's sort of important um, to this discussion. Anything you want to add to to that, or you seem like. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, here's kind of the way I view it, too, and I have this discussion with my parents all the time. One of the things that's become very apparent to me is a lot of people will chase external things to try to fill that hole, and what I've learned is every time I've chased something and I've gotten there, it's never solved the issue. but the thing that's been helpful in you know helping to fill that hole is enjoying the process of getting to where you want to go and one of the things i've noticed you know it's like i've set a lot of milestone goals in my life and kind of every time i've hit them i've never like gotten to the point where i go man i'm where i want to be but i always look back and i go all the work the journey and the struggle trying to achieve that goal was what brought me the most growth and happiness. And so every time I kind of set out another goal, I really focus on the, this is going to be really challenging. And I know when I get there, it's not going to solve the problem, but I'm going to pick up all these things along the way. And I'm going to feel really good about the work that I did to get there. And so then when you reach that goal, it's not this big letdown, right? It's this here's another piece I added to my armor or, you know, another shovel full of dirt that I put in the hole. And it was based on the, the process of getting there. I would say that the majority of people that are responsive to the eat for message or become members, they start off with kind of this mindset that is still based into, okay, in 60 days, I'm going to do eat to perform. Um, and, and I'm going to be fixed, right? And I think what Brad is saying, what I'm saying, because we believe it to our core and it's how we built our company, is that you'll never be fixed. You will never 100% get there. And there is never really the goal. Like I was at this competition with my daughter and it made me relive some of my high school sports, you know, moments. And I think Brad has many more than, than I do um, in, in that regard. But all of those activities, I, I couldn't tell you one win, one loss, or anything. The only thing that I remember are the relationships, right? And I think what, what we do, what we try to do, you know, is really – focus on on that piece you know and i'm not i'm not i didn't bring up this topic to go you know either perform to solve your life trauma right like that's your thing that you're going to have to deal with at some point but what i am saying 100 percent is that either perform was built by people that know what trauma is like and we're not going to add to the trauma right and i understand that you might not be there yet right and it's fine that that you're not there yet you know and that maybe you will get to that place at some future point and we'll still be here and we'll welcome you just the same as we do 
But when you look at, I mean, I was thinking of someone, you know, we were yesterday, there was some back and forth. Um, and, and I mean, I'm seeing Kalia and, and, but, it, but the person I was thinking of was Kelly Chun, right? And there was just this, this interaction with, with customer service where there was a little misunderstanding. And I just can't imagine eating perform without Kelly Chun, right? And so my decision as it related to this whole discussion was Kelly, Kelly Chun staying. And I apologize if I, you know, using her name. Uh, I probably should have thought about that, but, um, but there's, you know, I, I just feel like, you know, I want to bring as many people to the safe place as possible, right? Because I know what it's like to appreciate the journey, right? And, and I also know that I'm not perfect. I'm still working towards goals. Um, and I'm gonna have moments where I have to allow myself to deal with bigger priorities. That's the other thing that I think that people aren't completely honest about, right? Is um, if you're dealing with just horrific nonsense, well, uh, nonsense means, sounds like I'm being dismissive and I'm not being dismissive. Um, but if you're dealing with life, you know, uh, I want Eat to Perform to be able to help you with that piece so that you can come out of it without having, having dug a bigger hole, right? Um, and, and part of that process sometimes means that you know, you're injured and you can't exercise the way that you normally do, or that, you know, it's, you're an accountant and it's tax season and you're a lawyer and you have a big case or, you know, um, just any number of things that, that people are going to be dealing with. I mean, one thing that, you know, we talk about occasionally, but because of the volumes of people that we deal with, you know, we see a lot of people that are on vacation a lot, right? And we we give them permission to be on vacation and enjoy their life and enjoy their food, right? In that process, and we don't we don't encourage people to diet going into vacation because we know the problems, and and we also know that everybody else knows those problems, but they're not willing to tell you the truth right? That you shouldn't be dieting going into it because you're just going to be at a low calorie point frustrated with no options. Go into you know, vacation with abundance. But the thing that we see all the time, every day, is death. We see a lot of death, right? Because when you're working with 6,000 people, you know, people die and the thing i always love about dealing in moments of grief is that you prioritize your life so different in moments of grief that you would not do normally and i would argue that most people do it really well right because you realize that what's really important in life is not whether you nailed 
your macros for that day, right? Um, yeah, you know, that's actually really interesting because I had, I had a rough couple months in, in fall and we were going through, and this, is just, this just kind of goes to show like how we all have our own stuff in front of us that we got to deal with. So my, my grandma was probably one of like, she was the biggest person in my life and she, she passed away pretty, um, pretty, I don't want to say brutally, but it was pretty rough. And it was, oh, it was right after we got back from our honeymoon. So it was, we had just gotten married and we got back and she had passed away, um, like three days after we got home. And I remember this was kind of at the time when we were, we were trying to solve some big problems in the business and things were kind of tough and we were having some, some big stuff going on and problems that we were trying to solve. And I remember at her, at her funeral and then we had something else the next day for like a dinner for her. And I remember I was sitting at dinner and I was, all I could think about was, man, all this stuff's getting in the way of work. And I had, and I would just had like this horrible moment of, man, this is a big thing that I got to figure out my own priorities, you know, and that's one of the pieces where it's, you know, when you can kind of detach and, and really take a look at it and realize okay, this is what I'm doing and kind of give yourself some, some grace because you know, you're feeling this way and you can't really help it. But then you kind of realize I got to figure out what really matters. Um, and so we have those, I mean, we, as people have those experiences, you know, all the time and working with people, we really see from the outside, those, those experiences all the time. Can you pinpoint, you know, how you deal with gratitude? I mean, like the, the texts that you send me and then now that I send you, you know, like I, I, and now I send to other people, you know, I mean, I've learned to, um, I mean, I always feel bad when I say that cause people are like, oh, I didn't get that. you know, <laughs> you know, it's, it, it kind of starts, it started very selfishly is I remember I was having a really bad day, probably like six or seven years ago. And it was, I was just, it was a really rough day. And I remember I, I texted my sister and cause she'd always been, you know, a pretty big support system, you know, and how much I cared about her. And I like instantly kind of felt better. And then I started kind of this habit of, you know, anytime I was really having a rough day, I started to do that. And then I realized how much that helped me deal with my own stuff. Um, yeah. And then people started to say, you know, this has been really helpful. So it's kind of one of those things where it started out as a coping mechanism. Yeah, I, I talked about that um, in a post, um, and I'll tell you where where that started from is that I, around 20 years ago, I, I, I remember that I was in the car business, um, and I remember holding back a lot of feelings and I was just like, you know what? I'm going to be more authentic than that. I'm going to, you know, if I feel something, I'm going to say it. And it came from a place of, of negativity, truthfully, right? Like people are being mean to me. Um, I'm going to let them know. And then, you know, my self-reflection was like, I wonder, see, this is sort of funny because I think a lot of, you know, kind of get into the discussion of Oprah, right? Like Oprah brought that to our lives. You know, that, that you know, positivity should really run things. And so as I was, you know, I'm going to speak my truth 
no matter how many feelings that it hurts, then I was like, I'm going to speak my truth when I see extraordinary acts too. And you're right. That changed my life. You know, um, there was, uh, I am a very moved person, right? I, I'm, I'm a crier at movies. Um, I cry. Well, for a long time, I didn't cry. Um, and once I allowed myself to feel that, it's like everything came out, right? Um, and so in big gatherings where people are moved, I have a level of empathy with the artist and I think of how much joy they must have. And so that, that brings me to tears, right? Um, like when, you know, there's just a lot of situations like that that bring me to tears. And so there was uh, this gal and she played the snare um, for this one uh, band last weekend. And she was clearly the leader of their group and she was spectacular and you know when i watched their performance like her her thing made me cry right just knowing the joy that she was having and how much hard work that she put into that you know really touched me and god it was so awkward to say to this teenage girl <laughs> you know what i mean because it's just so hard in today's day to say to a young lady what you did was so moving and it really touched me that all your hard work showed up and she lost it <laughs> she, started, she started crying so hard um and um i you know i just tapped her on the shoulder and i said i, I just really really wanted you to know that because you know, you're clearly a very talented person and, you know, you brought a lot of people joy that, you know, aren't going to tell you. So I'm going to tell you, you know. You know what's really interesting about that is think about how easy it is for people to like say something negative to or about somebody else and how frequent that is. I mean, you can look at social media, you can look at customer service. I mean, you can look at any interaction and how much more difficult it is to genuinely say something very moving and powerful about somebody else. It's almost like it, it's just more difficult to say something genuinely very moving to somebody else than it is to very easily kind of degrade them and bring them down. But isn't that the larger discussion that we're having? Right. The yeah. larger discussion that we're having is that people don't have a layer of self-esteem that allows them to be in touch with their own feelings about what the real truth is, right? About their history, about their present. And so it's much easier to deflect on social media, you know, negativity related to a topic 
because that topic is a distraction from the thing that actually does really bother you that you are, you know, I mean, we all, you know, I have a need for distractions, you know, distractions are definitely a part of my life. You know, I really could care less about the final four, but watching those guys, you know, have those moments that touches me or going to a movie. Those are all distractions that in my life, you know, have a place even from a positive standpoint but it does beg the question is what distractions are you choosing right and what role are those playing in what you do and so if you're choosing to you know i mean the amount of negativity that we get on facebook you know is not near as much because the algorithms now you know, sort of send your stuff to people that are want to hear it, right? Um, but there, there are, you know, whenever you see a trending topic, those are the things, any trending topic that you see on Facebook, you go to the comments, and I mean, it's just crazy, you know, because they're only trending because they're controversial, right? It it i mean as someone that that markets for a living i can tell you that i can have a really powerful message write a really powerful article and people do not react to positives the way that they do to negatives typically um and i think that speaks to the larger issue that we're talking about right that that you know I would argue that most dieting companies would not exist. You know, I would argue that maybe we wouldn't even exist if people had a better relationship with themselves, right? Because that, you know, I think a lot of people put onto us their belief system and believe that we're going to be a solution. And I think when we are a solution for those people, we're not a solution the way they thought it was going to be, right? That, that they change the way they think about it a little bit. Yeah. I mean, so that's a, that's a really good point. I mean, you and I probably, we don't look at as much as the, you know, some of the staff members anymore, but, you know, probably over the last 15 months, we've probably read a half a million journal entries. And one of the things that is the most common is the result people get from each perform is so different than the result that they thought they were going to get. And it's, it's always the, wow, this did more for me than I was expecting. And, and that's not to say that there, there aren't some people, you know, I mean, it's, it's a very real problem, right? Like if you're dealing with a health concern and you're trying to lose weight, you know, um, that might not be a traumatic issue. That might not be a result of a, of a traumatic issue. We don't want to like trivialize everything to come down to something that may have happened in your past. But what, what, what we will say is that we kind of have a way we do things. And the way that we do things is not in a way that's going to highlight 
I'm trying to say this carefully. Um, but we're not going to abuse you further, right? And I mean, and, and, I, and that's how I say it carefully. <laughs> but, but I mean, it's the only way to say it, right? It's the only way to say it is that if you know that you're contributing to the problem and you continue, then you are part of the problem, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that, you know, some of my experiences from a therapy standpoint, you know, and, and you look at it and you see this with 12 step programs and things of this nature, there's always, there's always the forgive yourself. And then there's always the ask for forgiveness piece. And then, um, you know, sometimes you have to offer it up because not everyone is in a place where they're willing to accept, you know, your apology, right? Um, and you have to be able to deal with that one way or the other, you know. Um, which brings me to a whole another thing that is a whole other page. Um, I mean, it, it, in some ways, you know, the ideas related to each reform are really limiting, you know, because we are talking about bigger issues, but at the end of the day, you know, you know, there is a scope of what we do and why we do it, you know, and, you know, we, you're gonna, you're gonna always touch the third rail for some people, you know, um, but it does get to a, a bigger discussion of, of what, you know, the true meaning of life is right. Um, and, and what the, the real goal is. And I loved what you said about, you know, going through, you know, what you went through as a child and then realizing that the true path, you know, um, was, was being imperfect. Right. Um, and I feel like there's a lot of people that are trying to, whittle it down to if i do this you know i had somebody say to me oh i'm doing the plan well i mean just because you're doing the plan that you're given is irrespective of the last 47 years of your life right like you know part of the plan is to try and isolate various ideas and use what we know to kind of get you to that place that's helpful. But the place that's always helpful is to start from a standpoint of I'm okay with myself, right? Um, and I'm really doing this from the standpoint of what is going to be the best me possible, right? Without viewing being less as always the better version of you. All right, so I'm gonna leave you with the last word um, based on the last things I just said, because we've already gotten too long and we've gotten way too sappy. Uh, <laughs> I think I'm good. I think we can end it there. All right. So we will end on that note. Uh, I would make a case for people checking out the building blocks, the next week's building block, um, which is probably going to trump next week's podcast. 
It's going to be on sleep and recovery. Last week's was on micronutrients, so check that out. Uh, that is up as a podcast, and we have various recordings within the group. So everybody have a great weekend, and we'll talk to you guys later. Bye now.